Hey, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Periodical Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, along with the not sunburnt this week, Tavis Killian. Like a phoenix from the ashes. And today we're going to investigate the true nature of biofuels. As always, our discussion today is going to cover the content in this week's periodical that I released this past Wednesday, April the 7th. So, Tavis, get corny with it. Oh, you can leave it to me. I mean, I do come from Iowa after all. Ever since the 1973 oil embargo, U.S. energy policy has sought to replace petroleum-based transportation fuels with alternatives. In the mid-2000s, one prominent option was using biofuels such as ethanol in place of gasoline and biodiesel instead of ordinary diesel. Now, with President Joe Biden promoting his ambitious plan to tackle climate change with a clean energy revolution, the United States faces a difficult question. Is ethanol from corn a viable option? The consensus among climate experts is that to slash carbon emissions quickly enough, as much pollution-inducing combustion as possible must be eliminated while expanding wind and solar energy to power the electric grid. The problem is a key aspect of Biden's agenda contradicts this push. He has vowed to, quote, promote ethanol and the next generation of biofuels, end quote, declaring them vital to the future of rural America and the climate. With fuel demand returning as individuals emerge from lockdowns to enjoy the fresh spring air, corn prices are surging to meet ethanol demand, and farmers are planning to plant historic amounts of corn this upcoming growing season. If President Biden truly wishes the federal government to be guided by the best science in order to protect our public health and the environment, the role of corn in the United States must be readdressed. While renewable fuels are important to America's clean energy future, Growing corn for fuel instead of food never has been an environmental or economic solution. In order to investigate the role of corn in the United States, the use of corn as a biofuel must first be understood. Ethanol, also ethyl alcohol, grain alcohol, drinking alcohol, or simply alcohol, is an organic chemical compound known to be a viable, flammable, colorless liquid with a slight characteristic odor. It is naturally produced from the fermentation of sugars by yeasts or via petrochemical processes and can be used as an alternative fuel source. In the United States, 94% of ethanol is produced from the starch and corn grain and is considered a renewable fuel since it is made from various plant materials collectively known as biomass. In the 1850s, ethanol was used as a lighting fuel, but it was curtailed when it was taxed as a liquor to help pay for the Civil War. Ethanol as a fuel continued after the tax was repealed and actually fueled Henry Ford's Model T in 1908, but the first ethanol blended with gasoline for use as an octane booster occurred in the 1920s and 30s, spurred during high demand during World War II because of fuel shortages. Today, more than 98% of U.S. gasoline contains ethanol, typically E10, 10% ethanol, 90% gasoline, which oxygenates the fuel, which reduces air pollution. By using ethanol in fuel, it reduces national petroleum consumption, thereby reducing the amount of oil we import. This was the initial proposition for its use, an alternative to seemingly dwindle fossil fuel production. Now, ethanol's primary market drivers are the federal renewable fuel standard requiring its use and its ability to enhance octane. Gasoline and gasoline blend stocks shipped via pipelines need ethanol or another enhancer to bring octane levels up and meet consumer demand for higher octane fuel to improve vehicle performance. After biomass feedstocks like corn are grown, collected, and transported to an ethanol production facility, Feedstocks are then converted to ethanol and transported to a fuel terminal or end-user by rail, truck, or barge. Finally, ethanol is blended with gasoline at the fuel terminal to make E10, E15, or E85 and distributed by truck to fueling stations. 
While ethanol produced from corn demonstrates a positive energy balance, meaning that the process of producing ethanol fuel does not require more energy than the amount of energy contained in the fuel itself, it still contains less energy per gallon than gasoline depending on the volume percentage of ethanol in the blend. Now let's take this a little bit further discussing the gasoline portion. So with more and more cars returning to the road, U.S. gasoline sales for 2021 have exceeded prior year levels for the first time since March of 2020 when officials first started widely imposing coronavirus lockdowns. Considering the fact that more than 98% of U.S. gasoline contains ethanol, more drivers returning to the road spells good news for corn farmers. In fact, corn prices have hit their highest level in almost eight years, and analysts say they are likely to get an even further boost from motorists. The recent explosion in prices is no surprise for two key reasons. First and foremost, increased demand for corn has been largely attributed to an increased demand from China, who is buying more raw crops in attempt to restock grain reserves and also grow their feedstock for hog consumption that was wiped out from the African swine fever. In addition, Chinese corn imports in the first two months of 2021 were more than five times higher than a year earlier because China needs to meet targets set in the recent trade agreements with the United States. The second price driver and focus of this piece is attributed to the production of ethanol. About 40% of the U.S. corn crop goes to producing the gasoline additive, and consumption plunged amid the pandemic. Now, ethanol producers predict a significant rebound powered by economic reopenings and a potential wave of bioenergy-friendly regulations from the Biden administration. Ethanol production was recovering quickly from pandemic-induced demand destruction until the Texas deep freeze altered its trajectory. Now, ethanol producers cannot keep up with the increasing demand. The offset between fuel ethanol supplied to the market versus what is currently being demanded has helped corn prices rise nearly 50% over the past six months. As a result, ethanol recovery provides an additional source of demand for farmers who will then grow more corn to take advantage of higher prices. In fact, the U.S. Agriculture Department projected that farmers would plant roughly 92 million acres of corn in the coming growing season, which starts in April and would be the most corn planted in the U.S. since 2016. In contrast, the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Service estimates U.S. corn acreage from the 2021 to 2022 marketing year, September to August, will be 91.1 million acres, up less than 1% since last year, but their highest level since 2018. With exploding gasoline demand and, by association, ethanol demand, many are predicting demand will return to pre-pandemic levels in the next few months due to vaccine rollouts in the summer driving season. As a result, Corn prices look to remain elevated for the foreseeable future. But here's the thing. Federal and state policies have subsidized corn ethanol since the 1970s, but its use as a biofuel gains support as a tool for supporting energy independence and reducing oil imports following the September 11th terrorist attacks. In 2005, Congress enacted the Renewable Fuel Standard, which required fuel refiners to blend 7.5 billion gallons of ethanol into gasoline by 2012. Since the United States consumed 133 billions of gasoline that year, that requirement was meant to bring the biofuel blend percentage up to about 5%. But in 2007, Congress dramatically expanded the RFS program with support from some major environmental groups. The new standard more than tripled the amount of U.S. renewable energy fuel consumption, which rose from 4.1 billion gallons in 2005 to 15.4 billion gallons in 2015, and actually was targeted to reach a level of 36 billion gallons by 2022. But on December 19, 2019, the EPA finalized volume requirements under the 2020 RFS program for cellulosic biofuel, biomass-based diesel, 
advanced biofuel, and total renewable fuel, as well as biomass-based diesel for 2021 that are significantly shy of those lofty 2007 goals. The new RFS targets were based on the assumption that U.S. gasoline consumption will increase over time, so more ethanol can be blended with gasoline without hitting the E10 blend wall. This blend wall is the maximum ethanol blend that will not damage the engines and fuel systems of vehicles that can't use gasoline ethanol blend higher than E10. Here's the thing. Bad news arrives slowly to some U.S. political circles in the failure of the Federal Renewable Fuel Standard Program to achieve its policy goals over the past decade is one of the slowest. To wean the United States off of their addiction to oil, the RFS mandated oil refiners to quadruple the amount of biofuels, primarily ethanol, into transportation fuels by 2022. But the security of U.S. fuel supplies is no longer a pressing problem, and now the federal government is continuing to manage what is already a broken ethanol market. This creates a major problem where huge amounts of Midwest corn are used for ethanol production to mix with vehicle gasoline and all the extra corn needed has raised the cost of food inside and outside of America. Despite these concerning problems with the RFS, proponents of the law are now trying to implicitly expand its scope by discouraging the EPA from exercising its authority to issue hardship waivers to the small refineries that are struggling with the high compliance costs associated with the troubled mandate. In accordance with the Energy Policy Act of 2005, the law that created the RFS, the EPA has for years granted hardship waivers to small institutions producing no more than 75,000 barrels a day that the EPA determines face disproportionate economic hardship from the ethanol mandate. Both sides of this debate should agree that there is nothing competitive about small refineries that employ thousands of blue-collar workers entering bankruptcy because of an inability to comply with the program's mandate. Unfortunately, limiting market options is precisely what will occur should the EPA stop issuing these hardship waivers to the companies that really need that relief. On the flip side of the coin, governors of the major corn and, well, ethanol-producing states of Iowa and Nebraska promote ethanol blending as a way to prop up their state's economies during economic slowdowns while downplaying the original national security arguments that no longer apply. In Iowa's case, 3.5% of its GDP, about $4.6 billion a year, can be tied directly to its renewable fuels industry. Is it any surprise that a centralized industrial program designed in direct opposition to free market principles would falter, especially when the problem of fuel scarcity has been solved by other means? It's not just the shale revolution bypassing the biofuels industry. The growth of electric-powered automobiles will only serve to further depress demand for the industry's products, leaving RFS as nothing more than a subsidy program for ethanol makers, corn farmers, and the multinational oil companies that own ethanol blending facilities. I mean, we haven't even gotten into the environmental problems with this yet, but economics, I mean, the original arguments that prop this up, oh, we need to be fuel dependent, that, that's not a problem anymore. Well, well yeah, we, well, it, it was the fact that we were scared of being fuel dependent on other nations, especially after the September 11th terror attack. We did not want to be dependent on oil from foreign countries. So we said, all right, what is a way that we can lower our nation's fuel consumption? Oh, let's add in, you know, a, a corn-based ethanol. You know, we've got corn here in the United States. Let's start blending that into fuel. But the problem is, and we'll start getting into this with the environmental issues, is now more and more corn is needed to blend with that gasoline. But the thing is, we have plenty of fuel here in the United States. We no longer need this. So what do you say, Tavis? Let's jump into the environmental issues. The economic shortfalls of a corn-based biofuel are certainly foreboding, but the real distraction lies in ethanol's environmental issues. 
For starters, about 40% of the United States corn crop is used to create ethanol, which means millions of acres of once-untouched lands have been plowed to accommodate corn ethanol demand. In addition, fuel crops like corn tend to displace food crops, resulting in a pulse of emissions as displaced farmers clear forests and cultivate previously undisturbed land to meet food demand. Now, instead of expanding wildlife habitats, a pillar in Joe Biden's plan to restore wildlife habitat and better manage public lands, the ethanol mandate is steadily reducing it. Furthermore, because corn is hard on the soil, farmers have been forced to use more and more fertilizer. Runoff from that fertilizer is adding to a growing dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico that is so low in oxygen that it kills significant fish and wildlife populations in the region. The most significant and troubling environmental issue with ethanol being utilized as a biofuel to add gasoline is its contribution to greenhouse gases, namely carbon dioxide. Historically speaking, many scientists viewed biofuels as inherently carbon neutral, making the assumption that the carbon dioxide plants absorbed from the air as they grow completely offsets or neutralizes the carbon dioxide emitted when plant biofuels are burned. Many years of computer modeling based on this assumption, including work supported by the U.S. Department of Energy, concluded that using biofuels to replace gasoline significantly reduced CO2 emissions from transportation. Now, new studies that examined crop data to evaluate whether enough CO2 was absorbed on farmland to balance out the CO2 emitted when biofuels were burned show that once all the emissions associated with growing feedstock crops and manufacturing biofuel are factored in, biofuels actually increase CO2 emissions rather than reduce them. While conducting and repeating these studies, researchers explicitly compared the amount of CO2 absorbed on cropland to the quantity emitted during biofuel production and consumption rather than assuming production of biofuels was carbon neutral. Existing crop growth already takes large amounts of CO2 out of the atmosphere, so the empirical question is whether biofuel production increases the rate of CO2 uptake enough to fully offset the emissions produced from corn fermentation into ethanol and biofuel combustion. Most of the crops used for biofuels during the period of study from 2005 to 2013 were already being cultivated. The main change was that farmers sold more of their harvest to biofuel makers and less for food and animal feed. So, as long as growing conditions remain constant, corn crops take CO2 out of the atmosphere at the same rate regardless of its end use. Therefore, to properly evaluate biofuels, one must evaluate CO2 uptake on all cropland since crop growth is the mechanism that takes carbon out of the atmosphere. When the analysis was conducted, researchers found that during the eight-year period, Cumulative carbon uptake on U.S. corn farmland increased by 49 teragrams, or 49 million metric tons, while planted areas of most other field crops declined during this period. This increased CO2 uptake can largely be attributed to the crops grown for biofuels. Over the same period, however, CO2 emissions from fermenting and burning biofuels increased by 132 teragrams. Therefore, the greater carbon uptake associated with crop growth only offset 37% of biofuel-related CO2 emissions from 2005 to 2013. In other words, biofuels are far from inherently carbon neutral. But here's the cherry on top, Tavis. The study does not even include the environmental impacts to offset other greenhouse gas emissions during biofuel production from sources like fertilizer use, farm operations, and even fuel refining. But environmental impacts don't stop there because as farmers convert grasslands, wetlands, and other habitats that store large quantities of carbon into cropland, very large amounts of CO2 are released from the soil. In the end, University of Michigan Institute scientists 
estimated that powering an American vehicle solely with ethanol made from corn would have caused exponentially more carbon pollution than using gasoline alone during the eight-year study. Energy crops were responsible for additional plant growth that absorbed a mere 37% of biofuel pollution, leaving most of it in the atmosphere where it can trap heat and further the climate crisis. All right, so if I take a gram of ethanol and a gram of gasoline, burn them both, sure, the ethanol is going to be cleaner. But like you said, every other angle you look at it from between fertilizer use, the gasoline that goes into a combine, all of these things do factor in and shows that, well, maybe ethanol isn't exactly what we thought it was. And really what these researchers try to do is make an even playing field, because when people talk about emissions from fossil fuels, they don't just talk about, oh, you know, when you put it in your car and you burn it, that's the emissions. No, they talk about the whole process. Even they include the smelting process for making casing strings. They include everything in this in saying, you know, this is the carbon emissions from the fossil fuel industry. All that these researchers were trying to do is say, okay, let's take that a step back for um, corn production too. What are all of the factors that go into planting more corn and then refining it into ethanol, adding it to gasoline, and then burning it? And then we find out it's actually worse for the environment than just burning gasoline. And one final factor that we didn't even get a touch on because we didn't have time is the food security issue. The fact that we're planting more corn to be put into ethanol is raising those grain prices. Like we said, great for corn farmers, but it's terrible for food security. Think about the people in third world countries that can barely afford food. Now we're jacking up grain prices to put into a fuel that we already have a plethora of. To wrap everything that we've talked about up into a nice little bundle, I mean, from 2005 to 2007, when the United States imported roughly 60% of its oil, crude prices were rising dramatically, and the country's oil production was believed to be in permanent decline. Out of desperation, the federal government picked biofuels as a savior using economic and scientific assumptions that have since been proven woefully inaccurate. Studies have proven that biofuel crops are not inherently carbon neutral, and the renewable fuel standard is simply supporting a broken system. With plentiful hydrocarbon resources domestically that can provide the energy we need with lower environmental impacts, it's time to shed some light on the folly of corn-based ethanol gasoline. The fact of the matter is, today's conventional corn ethanol carries risks to the climate, wildlife, waterways, and even food security. Mitigation of CO2 from hydrocarbon combustion the largest source of anthropogenic CO2 emissions in the United States and the second largest globally after coal, is necessary. But as a cure for climate change, biofuels are worse than the disease. Luckily, science points to climate protection mechanisms that are far more effective and less costly than biofuels. Since ethanol is utilized in transportation, emissions can be reduced by improving vehicle efficiency, limiting miles traveled, or even substituting lower carbon-free fuels such as hydrogen. It may even be possible to remove CO2 from the atmosphere more rapidly than current ecosystems are absorbing it through the use of carbon capture or by recapturing it in the biosphere. This would include tactics like reforestation and afforestation or rebuilding the soil carbon and restoring other carbon-rich ecosystems such as wetlands and grasslands. These approaches will help protect the environment and biodiversity instead of threatening it while shifting government spending away from an antiquated program like the RFS and continued biofuel production. I got a solution, Kevin. We can take it, we can rebrand it, and we can go straight to the government and say, hey, we've got a new biofuel. It's made from, you know, old plants and animals that have died, but we can convert that waste into energy. It's called oil. <laughs> Maybe they'll pick up on it then if we can frame it like that. I sure hope so. But that is all we've got for this episode. If you do want to learn more, which I'm sure you do, 
go to rarepetro.com. Not only do we have other resources, other podcasts for you to listen to, but all of the things that we use to put together a lot of this research are now available on a useful links page. So go ahead, get your hands dirty with the data and hey, become part of the team. You can do that by subscribing. And if you want to reach out to us, you can contact Kevin and I by emailing podcast at rarepetro.com. But like I said, that's all we got for you. Thanks for tuning in this week. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Have an awesome week. 